Alright, Ellen. Welcome to the second part of the Dan and Joe Sports Show today. We're continuing to talk about the draft. Uh, we were just joined by our, our good friend Kyle, who's a big Georgia fan. And I uh, wanted to remind everyone of the last episode we have, you can listen to uh, on the Dan and Joe Sports Show podcast on Spotify. As all of our old episodes are, and our old ep- our episode with Jim Dunaway that we had a couple weeks ago is now available on Spotify. So check us out with the Dan and Joe Sports Show on Spotify, you'll find us. And you can also listen to our old shows on our Facebook page and like our Dan and Joe Sports Show fan page. Uh, Joe, we talked about the Panthers, we talked about the Saints, the Packers. Who are some other teams that maybe you thought uh, had a good draft this year? I think the Bengals stand out to me because I'm not sure how we wait long-term to win some losses with Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, but from just a rating standpoint, on excitement, galvanizing the fan base in Cincinnati, it was a whole run. I mean, the Joe Burrow jerseys are just going to be, you know, selling galore over the next few months. People are excited. They feel like they finally have their quarterback in the future, and I think that's uh, worth a whole lot for them. Well, Joe, what do you think about uh, Joe Burrow's new nickname, the Tiger King? With him playing it at LSU, <laughs> with him being a Bengal. I saw this this amazingly ornate painting of, uh, of uh, Joe Burrow petting a tiger on the ground, standing on the Bengal Stadium as the Tiger King. No, no, I, I love that. I think that that's your perfect timing for you know, his career, the Netflix hit series. Also, going from the Bayou Bengals to the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. So, you know, really excited to see how it plays out for Burrow and Cincinnati. And with Andy Dalton being released, and now I saw today signed in to be the backup in Dallas behind Prescott, the Bengals are definitely counting on Burrow to probably start from day one. Yeah, Joe, you know, I really, you're talking about T. Higgins getting drafted in the second round. What a great pick by the Bengals there, too, because that guy is a very good wide receiver. And I think what happened to him is the coronavirus scare made it to where he couldn't get to work out with anyone. And if you remember correctly, the last couple games of the, of the season against Ohio State, and then it continued against LSU, that back injury had looked a little scary. So I'm kind of thinking that some teams got a little bit warded off of him because they were worried about him having a lower back injury, which – for a possession receiver, that is a concern. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But definitely in the second round, um, the Bengals made a good pick, um, you know, maybe somewhat risk, but definitely, I think, a high reward and a, and a prime target for uh, Burrow going forward. He'll also have A.J. Green coming back from an injury, so that could be a very interesting one to punch him. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good starting uh, receiver lineup right there. Um, Joe, another team who I thought had a pretty good uh, offseason um, was the Colts. I thought the Colts did some good jobs in the draft. They went out and got Phillip Rivers and free agency, and they added a little bit to their playmaker uh, you know, quota, too, because for a while there it was really just T.Y. Hilton. And I think they went out and got one of the big receivers in the draft this year, and they got they, get, they got Cam Akers, too, didn't they? Um, I'm just trying to remember if they got Jonathan Taylor no, it was Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, they wouldn't got Jonathan Taylor, which I think is a great pick. No, absolutely. I mean, 6,000 yards plus in Wisconsin in three seasons. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, just uh, a great running back. Um, so I love that pick. Love what uh, 
Indianapolis is doing in that division is suddenly one of the most um, compelling the AFC South because you had still Deshaun Watson in Houston. You have the Titans fresh off an AFC Championship game appearance. You have the Colts. Yeah, Joe. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is such an interesting player to me because on my board, I had him as the number one running back. And he's a little bit of a victim of circumstance because, Joe, what, 15 years ago, I think Jonathan Taylor would have been the number one player drafted, period. I think he would have gotten drafted above Joe Burrow for how great of a career he had. And back in the days when the NFL did use a single running back like a workhorse, Jonathan Taylor, there's nothing wrong with him. No, absolutely not. I would kind of equate it, you know, you look how the NBA has evolved for three-point shooting. Big men used to always be the number one thing. Centers, guys that could be the anchor inside, the Bill Russells, if you will. And Jonathan Taylor's running back, that's what people used to go after in the NFL. So we've seen the tide turn, and now, you know, it's a little bit more of a finesse league, relatively speaking, at times. And you see players like quarterbacks, offensive linemen, uh, those anchors are selected oftentimes ahead of running backs. Um, on another note, I wanted to talk about a team that I thought had a very interesting trend and not necessarily for the right reasons. The New England Patriots did not draft a quarterback. You know, I thought about you instantly being an Auburn fan with Jared Stems slated to potentially take over. I mean, what, what do you make of what the Patriots are doing well, I mean, I think that it's clear that Belichick thinks that Stidham's his man because he has had so many opportunities to go and get somebody that could compete with or supplant Stidham as a starter, and he hasn't done it. And the Andy Dalton was available, he could have gotten him. Cam Newton's sitting out there, he could get him. The draft happened, seven rounds of it, he didn't get a quarterback. I think that it's clear that uh, Andy let, he let Tom Brady go. Don't forget that, too. He let Tom Brady leave the door, which to me suggests he thinks that he has a great chance to win with Stidham. And I can't argue with Belichick. He's done nothing but win six Super Bowls. So if that's what he thinks, then obviously Stidham, you know, has a chance to be a successful NFL starter. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. You have to give Belichick the benefit of the doubt. You know, we're going to find out next year who was, you know, the – centerpiece behind the Patriots dynasty wasn't Belichick, wasn't Brady, and there's going to be some type of documentary, you know, 20 years from now that's going to be so good and so captivating. But one thing about the Patriots draft class that I found somewhat peculiar, I can't remember a team ever trading out of the first round for two second round picks. They didn't get a player in return. They got two second round picks. I found that a little bit odd. Well, Joe, there's something that I've noticed about uh, Belichick through the years. He's not a big draft guy. He doesn't care as much about getting uh, big players in the draft as he does collecting draft picks and using them as trade bait. I kind of feel like Belichick sees the draft more as a business opportunity to collect future interest than he does actually getting players. I mean, the last time I remember him getting a player in the draft that I was like, okay, that's that's a big-time player who's going to fit their system and really help them out was when they got Sony Michelle. And I kind of feel like Sony Michelle has been a little bit of a disappointment for the Patriots. But outside of that, I feel like every year Belichick puts it out there that he wants to get somebody. Like, he probably said, hey, guys, I'm going to get Jordan Love. You know, the Packers moved up to get him. 
And then instead what they'll do is they'll trade back, collect more draft picks, and use it to get some elderly player that he can pay nothing who will go out and do great who just wants to get a Super Bowl ring. Well, another thing, I'm kind of thinking he's looking at, I think he makes some really good points, but it's almost like he wants to just throw all logic to the curbside. And he's like, I can win without Tom Brady. I can take these no-name players, and I can make it to the Super Bowl. Like, this is going to be you know, just reckless abandon. I'm going to prove you guys that with the X's and O's, I'll be great to Well, you know, you think about it. So Brady was the seventh-round draft pick when he got it. And he was able to use this guy to win six Super Bowls. And he's never gone out and gotten a first-round uh, first quarterback or really gotten first-round receivers or anything like that outside of Sonny Michelle that I mentioned. So I think he really is trying to prove, look, my system works. What I do, I don't spend a lot of money on draft picks. I get older players who want one Super Bowl ring who will take a pay cut to play with me. And I built my team around a guy that was a late round draft pick. And he's like, I got stood up in the fourth round last year. That's that's high picks by my standards. And you know, he looks at him as a guy that, you know, frankly is an Auburn fan. Uh, if you put Stidham with someone else, like if he had been on a Clemson, if he had been on a USC, if he had been on a team that really was a passing attack versus more of a uh, you know, run, play action, no huddle style of offense that Gus runs. Stidham probably could have put up 4,000-plus yards, and he probably would have been more considered a first-round draft pick. And so I think that the Belichick saw the value in getting Stidham there and knows that you know he's a pretty smart guy and he can probably do a whole lot with him and not have to spend money on him. Yeah, he's definitely one with quarterbacks that are weaker in the past. You know, he's had to go from Stills with Matt Castle with Jacoby Brissett. So you definitely feel like he can work with us Stidham pretty well. Yeah, and, you know, Stidham's really interesting to me because the first year he was at Auburn, he had the really rough game against Clemson, but then he really did improve a whole lot throughout the season. And then the Georgia game, I think there was just so many injuries around him that that's the reason they lost that. But, I mean, he was one of the most improved players in the SEC that first season he had. And the second season, I really just felt like he didn't have as many playmakers. He didn't have the rushing attack to help him out. And if you look at the Patriots right now, I don't think they're going to put the whole game on Siddham. They do have Sonny Michelle. They still have James White. they got some running backs that can take a little pressure off of Siddham. And I really think that they're going to use Siddham kind of the way he was used at Auburn when he was a really successful player in 2017. So I think that yeah. Belichick sees the, the framework is there for Siddham to be a, a highly successful and winning quarterback. He does have McKill here at wide receiver who was injured a lot last year. Yeah. first round pick, and they did draft a couple of uh, late round intriguing tight ends that would be something to watch. Yeah, didn't they get, uh, they got Alex O from over in uh, Missouri, was that the Patriots that got Harold? I can't remember. They got, I know they got two guys. I thought one, I think one was maybe from a smaller college, but I can't remember. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what the Patriots said, but I really think that, yeah, he's just going to go with Stidham because... He wants to show that his penny pitching style works, and he's going to do that with so. Right. So, you know, kind of looking looking elsewhere, um, the Cowboys right now, we were talking about it earlier. They went out and got Andy Dalton. Uh, I think it's an interesting move because the whole offseason, what have you been hearing about with Dak Prescott? You've been hearing about how he wants more money. I was kind of mad they put the franchise tag on him for another year. Do you think this was a sign by Jerry Jones being like, listen, man, 
I got so much talent right now. I've got Amari Cooper. I've got CeeDee Lamb. I've got Ezekiel Elliott. I don't need you. If you want all this money, I can win with Andy Dalton, and I'll pay him less. That's exactly what they're doing. I mean, they're using it for bargaining power against uh, Dak Prescott. They're showing him that they're ready to go. They have a team that's tailor-made with a lot of talent. That defense is still really, really good. Um, and they don't necessarily need a quarterback to go out and throw for 4,500 yards in order to make it to a Super Bowl. In some ways, I mean, they might even be better with a quarterback that's just going to be more of a game manager given the talent they have around him on that roster. So they're set up either way to the insurance policy by getting Amy Dalton, and for some reason uh, there's a holdout with Dak Prescott. Yeah, I thought it was a great bet, and I think that it was definitely a wake-up call to Dak that he may ask for more money, but if that's the, the game, the goal is going to play with Jerry Jones, and how loaded their team is, Jerry might just tell them to go see the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I was a fan of it. And, yeah, like I said, just like uh, Jalen Hurts going to Carson Wentz's team, thought it was a good move, definitely thought it was a bit of a reach, though. I think they could have gotten probably in the fourth round. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but that division, you know, once again, it comes down to Cowboys and um, Eagles, you know, the Redskins. I really like Chase Jalon, but you feel like they're a couple of years away, obviously. Um, and then the Giants, you know, I think they're a little bit, it's going to be a little bit before they can contend. But I found it interesting. I think they had the fourth overall pick. And speaking of a reach um, up in the draft, I thought the offensive line that they took was not the best offensive lineman in the draft. It was probably the fourth or fifth one. Was it was it Andrew Thomas? Out of, out of Georgia, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Thomas was rated as a first-round guy, but a back-end of the first-round player. A younger guy, too. I mean, I think he's only a redshirt sophomore, 20 years old. So, I mean, I guess he got some growth right there you can get with him. And he was a very good offensive lineman at Georgia on a team that had a solid offensive line. But he definitely was a guy that I don't think they needed to get there. They maybe could have traded back at the end of the first round and got him, or maybe even got him at the beginning of the second round if they had been patient. Yeah. And I definitely think that the Giants were someone that probably could have uh, sprung for a wide receiver even at number four with where they're at right now. Because think about it, they don't have OBJ anymore. Uh, I can't even think off the top of my head of a Giants wide receiver right now. I mean, I think that's... Yeah, Ingram's the only pass catcher I can think of he's decided. Yeah, exactly. So, I think, you know, they might have been smart to have drafted someone like Ruggs or Judy right there and just got him in the top five. I mean, really, just to hear. Or, you know, really, what would have been smart is, since you know you're going to go O-lineman later, why don't you trade back and get someone like Ruggs or Judy in the 15s and trade up for someone that wants to move up for a big-time player, if that's what you were going to do. That would have been a wise decision. That's probably the way I would have played it. Speaking of which, Joe, I love the Raiders draft. Uh, I said it before. I thought that Ruggs was the best wide receiver in the draft, the most talented. Uh, To me, he's a guy that you can use, um, very similar to the way uh, the Chiefs uh, use uh, their wide receiver that's so good, you know, that you can can hit on long balls and kind of a, a home run threat. And so I thought getting Judy at 12, I mean, getting uh, Henry Ruggs at 12 was a great pick. And I think they got a couple yeah. other uh, no big-time yeah. uh, playmakers. Yeah, no doubt. And the reason they picked him, I think, is in prime response to the Chiefs having a Tyreek Hill. Yeah. They felt that they need their own, you know, Kerner, who can, uh, you know, be just a few uh, 
plays away from getting to the end zone and really just light up teams um, with the deep ball. And I think that um, the Raiders with this draft class is really important to them because I believe they had two first round picks. And so what you see going back to the uh, controversial Coil Mack trade with the Bears, these are the extra picks that they're getting from that trade. And so these are going to be important players to justify loading up on that draft capital and giving up one of the best defensive players in the NFL. So these picks are going to be observed closely. It looks like they all run with both of their first-round picks. But, you know, we'll see how it works. Uh, the first couple of years under John Gruden has been a little bit disappointing, to say the least. Now they're moving into a new market, a new stadium. Will that count on this team? Yeah, it's interesting, and it'd be interesting to see if it, you know, if they get a good fan base there. I'm interested to see how well attended their games are, because people go to Vegas for a lot of things. They go to, to gamble, they go to play poker, blackjack, sports gamble. Before Mississippi and some of the other ones made it okay for uh, other places to have it outside of uh, New Jersey and Nevada. Are they going to get sellouts of games? Are they going to have an impassioned fan base? Because It'd be hard for me as an Oakland Raiders fan to care about the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and uh, a lot of their fans, uh, similar to any teams that we've seen relocate, are going to be uh, frustrated and heartbroken to lose their uh, beloved team. Uh, because obviously the Raiders get a lot of criticism for the stadium that they play in, and sometimes they didn't always have a capacity crowd. But they had some very rapid fans yeah. who were very passionate about their team for many, many years. And they have a lot of history that a lot of uh, younger people that follow football just aren't aware of how good they were with uh, John Madden's teams. And so it's going to be interesting. I will say that the hockey team uh, in Vegas has uh, done pretty well with attendance in their first few seasons. And they had 41 home games. So I feel like definitely in 2020, assuming you know fans can go to games with that new stadium and just eight NFL games, that uh, fans will really turn out things. Yeah, and you know I think so, uh, something too that people will find interesting is a lot of people will travel out to Vegas to go have gambling trips, and they've never been able to bet on a game and then go to it an hour afterwards. It's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you could go and. You can make a big bet on the money line of the Raiders, and then go see it, and then go see it do it. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. That's a good point. Another thing I would look at: I San Diego used to have this trouble because they're such a destination for vacationers. You know, I have no doubt they'll fill up the stadium, but can they make sure that it's a partisan crowd in favor of the Raiders? Yeah, because so many people are going to want to go to Vegas. Similar to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt has the same problem. People love going to Nashville. Nashville's a great city. It's one of the big up-and-coming cities in the South. And a lot of times we'll go see uh, Vanderbilt games. If they're playing Bama or LSU, there's more Bama and LSU fans there than there are Vanderbilt fans because they want to go take a trip to Nashville. So I think that's definitely similar. So I'm interested to see what happens with that because I definitely feel like the Chargers being relocated to L.A., it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of fan interest in the L.A. Chargers. No, there's not. And they're obviously sharing uh, a stadium next year with the Rams. Um, 
they're just kind of the forgotten commodity in the Los Angeles market right now on sports side. Yeah. And they're kind of relegated to where almost the Clippers were for so many years in the shadow of the Lakers. And so Herbert is really going to have to perform well in order for them to get some momentum. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of foresee this as maybe within the next five years, they'll be sent somewhere else. But we'll see. All right, Joe, speaking of being sent somewhere else, uh, you and I have a really interesting locker room talk right now. Uh, I was watching uh, the new Mary Poppins movie. Uh, I mean, I say new, I guess it's within the last couple years they made it because uh, it was available on Netflix. And I thought it was fantastic, first off. But one thing I noticed in it, though, is that it had uh, some very old actors in it that, personally, I thought were dead. To be honest, I thought these people were no longer on this earth. They had gone somewhere else. And so it gave me the idea that uh, I wanted to bring back one of our old locker room talk segments that goes back to uh, the Rebel rant that we had at Ole Miss and be guess the ages of certain people. And uh, right now... Uh, our locker room talk is brought to you by Beach Ball Properties. Great news for Beach Ball Properties. They're lending condos again in Orange Beach. Things are opening up. We're actually going to go use them uh, next week. My wife's uh, family is going to be in town, and we're renting a condo from Beach Ball Properties down there at the beach. So anyone that's interested right now, the weather's still good. It's not hot. Give Hunter and Ginger a call at Beach Ball Properties and go have a ball at the beach. Yeah, that's the ironic thing about the whole pandemic, the weather. Uh, the South Mississippi, I know in Alabama too, has been fantastic. Yeah. Always love May. It's one of my favorite times of the year because it's not too hot, but you don't really have to deal with any cold weather in the South. Um, and then also, shout out to uh, Jensen Computer Technologies located right outside Pattysburg, Mississippi. Call Ryan and Daryl Gale Jensen for all of your computer needs. All right, Joe. So to start off, we are not doing a live or dead segment, which is one that we also do too, where you have to guess whether someone is alive. And uh, if they're dead, and if they're alive, how old they are. This is purely, these people are alive, this is how old they are. So when I was watching the new Mary Poppins movie the other day, Dick Van Dyke, who was, of course, in the original Mary Poppins, was the chimney sweep from it, he actually plays a role in the new movie. He's the, uh, the old bank manager. And when he first popped up, I was like, I think that's Dick Van Dyke. But in my head, I was like, that's not possible. He has to have been dead for about 20 years. It sure enough, I looked it up at the end, Dick Van Dyke. So, Joe, Dick Van Dyke is alive. How old do you think he is? I know he's over 90, obviously, because his career has just been so long. I mean, I feel like he's been just generations. A lot of people were watching him in movies in the 40s and 50s. You know, you talk about the classics like Mary Poppins. He's one of my favorite actors because I think about Shitty Shitty Bang Bang. Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, great one. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, so many great films he's been in, the Dick Van Dyke show, the McMurray's Howard Moore show, just goes on and on. And then more recently, Diagnosis Burger was a good show in the 90s. But um, I want to say, Dan, that I've seen him um, recently in a campaign ad for one of the presidential candidates, I can't really remember who, a couple of months ago. So he's still in pretty good health. Yeah. I'm going to say he is uh, 95 years old. Joe, that is a great guess. You're almost there. Uh, in five months, you'd be right. He's 94 years old right now. He's December of 1925 is when he was born. So that's a, that's a solid guess right there. Uh, i definitely give you an A-plus on the effort right there. 
Uh, one of the things that blew my mind watching that movie is that he danced. At 94 years old, he was dancing. I think it was real, too. It didn't look like it was someone, you know, being subbed in. So, really amazing what he was able to do. I believe in it. You know, think about somebody being born in the roaring 20s and making it to the 2020s. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just an impressive person all around from his life. The fact that he's been able to maintain that level of health with the life he's had. Good to see you, Dick Van Dyke. Um, the next one I have for you, Dan, um, I've been watching the uh, Chicago Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. I've been watching it tonight. Highly recommend it to all of our listeners. It's been really entertaining. And so I selected uh, one of the key um, people involved in that series, uh, Phil Jackson, arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. Uh, Dan, uh, how old is Phil Jackson? Uh, so let's think about this real quick. Uh, when Phil Jackson took over the Bulls, he took them over in the late 80s, early 90s, and kind of had control of them throughout the 90s. And I want to say he looked like when he took when he took over the Bulls, he was maybe in his early 40s. And so I'm going to say he's about 72. You're very close. He is... Um... 74 years old, he'll be 75 in September. Okay. So I think if you still wanted to hire him for a year or two, you might be able to still do it. Right. Uh, Joe, sticking with uh, Mary Poppins, I was talking about uh, Dick Van Dyke and how amazing he looked in it. But what was crazy was it wasn't just Dick Van Dyke who was very old who was in it. There was another person in it that I definitely thought was dead and there was no way it was still walking this earth that was in this movie. And that's Angela Lansbury. Uh, Angela Lansbury, of course, was on Murder, She Wrote for a long time. Very popular show. Uh, also, in the Disney vein, you ever see Bed Knobs and Brimsticks? She's the main person for Bed Knobs and Brimsticks. Also a great classic Disney movie. And uh, she was also uh, the voices in uh, Cinderella and in Beauty and the Beast, too. So, great career she had. She was in the new Mary Poppins movie. So, Joe, how old do you think Angela Lansbury is? Yeah, Murder, She exact same age as Dick Van Dyke, also 94 years old. So how incredible is that? They were able to get two timeless actors that were both 94 years old to be in this movie, and both appeared to be in pretty solid health. Um, staying in the realm of actors, um, I'm picking a person that, obviously, I don't think there's any surprise that he's still living and doing great, but he's someone that, you know, is a little bit out of the public eye now. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, his show is, you know, no longer uh, running like it was in the 1990s. And so I kind of want to see your take on how old you think Jerry Seinfeld is. Well, Joe, he's still really funny. Uh, my brother and I saw him. He came to Mobile last year. And I couldn't even breathe after that show. I was laughing so hard. He was fantastic. He's got a really good show on Netflix right now called uh, uh, Comedians in Car Drinking... Comedians in cars drinking coffee. It's really funny. It's like really quick. It's like 15 minutes. Uh, I think Jerry Seinfeld is about 68. 
very close. He is 66, um, just turned 66 in uh, April. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, it's still really funny. Um, Joe, the last one that, that, that I have, and it made me think of it with Kyle, him being on the show and being a big Georgia fan, who's the most famous Georgia basketball player of all time? Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight reel. How old do you think Dominique Wilkins is? Let's see. His prime, I feel like, was in the 1980s and it's the 1990s. I feel like there were a lot of matchups between he and the Hawks against Bird and Celtics, even in the 80s. It felt like they just never could get out of the second round of the playoffs. So I would think that in the 80s, he would have been in his 20s, maybe late 20s. And so, not that much older than Michael Jordan. But I would say a couple of years older. Michael Jordan is 57. Joe, you have been really close, almost hitting it second time within one year. Dominic Wilkins is 60 years old. So a solid guess right there. All right, Joe, we got time really quickly for one more. What do you have? Um, last one I have for you is Oprah Winfrey. Ooh, okay, Joe. So thinking about Oprah, uh, started off in the 80s with the color purple, 1985. That's about 35 years old. I think she was probably in her early 30s. I'm going to say Oprah is 66 years old. Right on. Right on. Yeah, because you're not dead. So there you go. All right. So one of us got one. That was good. All right, Joe. Uh, thank you for all of our listeners. And uh, like I said, you can check us out on our podcast, the Dan and Joe Sports Show. Uh, thank Kyle for being on earlier. And uh, everything you need to know on the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm sure.